0: Guys, George Messa, third Eye Edify podcast, and as I often am with a guest as amazing as this, I am super excited to talk about some very time-sensitive things that just occurred. It's it's nothing new, but it's it's new, newish. It's old meets new, and maybe even ancient, as we will see. As we will see, talking about the connections between. What the recent moon landing is called, and how it relates to the mythological aspects of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Primarily the Odyssey, of course. And we'll get into all that. And who better to do this? The first person I thought of, and thankfully he was more than willing to do it, he is somebody that I think all of you know by now. And if not, after this interview, you will certainly know exactly why he's here. We just did an episode pretty recently about the Panama Canal, which I think um, the feedback was amazing. I got more than usual, by the way. I got all these people coming from different directions. Topher Gardner, you know, anyone you can possibly name in this field coming at me like, man, where did that episode come from? You know, all the secret sauce was flying. And please welcome him back to the show. Gabriel Slick Dissident, Thank you so much for being here. I think this is going to be something pretty special.
1: Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure to be here again. And as usual, we do these shows drawn, called. You know, we're answering a compulsion that is very mystically embedded in us. And as like the last time, We get done with the weave and i have all these things that i learned from our adventure uh, after the fact and sure enough you know it feels very much in stride that we went from the panama canal the heart the heart aorta ventricle uh passageway portal of of trade of all things that come and go from east to west and now we're up on the moon almost dealing with some of the same ingredients of this mystical realm that we that we live in uh so yeah the connections between our last weave and this weave are so uh enriching and so yeah i look forward to what we get out on the table tonight and the uh the leftovers it's all those leftovers after we have these conversations where i could look back and i'm like these things just become a compendium of revelation. So yeah, I'm stoked to continue the adventure.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. Really. My, I'm so honored that you, that you are in my world, as much as I know that you are and you're, you know, you're doing a service for everyone. Every time you step in front of the camera, I mean, it's rare. And you know, that's the point of having this kind of show is to bring people like you on, but you, you are a you're a library you know i don't know how else to say it it's it's far above and beyond most it's above average to say the very least as i as again most people that watch this show know you and they know exactly what i'm talking about i unfortunately it's not showing so well but the image behind us was created by you and i'll potentially just pull it up at its as its own thing soon but that That shot from the circular window, again, we get a circular window shot from these things. They never do anything different, right? And it looks a lot like something from the Crowlian um, t- uh, tarot that you've been looking at lately, so I think that's great. I mean, this tarot just never stops giving for you, right're you're, you're constantly finding images in modern news, modern art that are they fit into all these little pieces, and you know it's easy to say, "Oh, yeah, sure, it's a circle, it's a blue no." Sometimes these images are exactly the same. The orientation of people holding certain things. And these are like press release photos, you know, that come out on purpose. And it has a lot to do with what you were saying the magic, you know, the spell crafting that goes on, that goes into it, the um, spell casting, as it were, right? The broadcasting of these things. And um, uh, let me start with this because when it's time for mythology, I. I still don't have what I want, knowledge-wise. You know, I, I always hear the references that you make, and every time you do, I say to myself, man, if I knew that, I would have said this, this, and this when I did my own episode about something, right? And But reaching for a metamorphosis from Ovid is usually a good, quick, little... It's, it's got little, bite-sized fragments of things that you'd want, right? And I'm just going to read a phrase from that to get us kind of started here, because there's a few sections that has Odysseus... And we are referencing the Odyssey, which is the second part, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Odysseus's uh, journey back home, which I have a good feeling we can reference to perhaps the Bermuda Triangle. We'll we'll get to that. Um, there's a conversation there. He's in a circle with Ajax. In case you didn't know, that Ajax was actually the name of a mythological character, not just a cleaning powder that you clean your bathtub with. Um, there is a little argument about who gets the armor of Achilles. And Ajax says about Odysseus, whose name is also Ulysses, by the way. Perhaps we can mention Ulysses Grant. Maybe he has a relationship in something here. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe. That could be a whole other episode. Um, (laughs) So they're having an argument about who should get this armor. And Ajax says about Ulysses, Odysseus, that... Let Ulysses, who maybe even could be NASA in this scenario, tell of his f- tell of his feats that no man has witnessed—only darkness, the darkness of space where astronauts claim they never saw any stars, right? Pure black. The prize is great, I know, but somehow lessened because Ulysses claimed it. There is no honor. This almost makes me feel like. I that like we're describing how I feel about the show that we get from all space agencies. There is no honor in their deceit. It is only blackness. It is nobody, as Odysseus tries to fool a now blind um, Cyclops, as we will disc- talk about in a minute. So all of these things seem to... I suppose, it, it grabbed me right away, and it's right in one of the earlier parts, too, of something I was reading, so... Tell of his feats that no man witnessed... It sounds biblical, but it's very much you're not going to be an astronaut and you didn't see what they saw until you do. Maybe don't trust it. And I also want to leave this on the table to, to give you the, the room to, to go. That I'm putting together a little bit of a super episode with you and several other like-minded individuals about we're not going to use that term that was floating around for the past you know 10 years, but the fact that I don't think we're spinning and orbiting and flying all at once. And I think there's a lot of reasons to doubt NASA and their, I have the number. It doesn't matter. It's over $74 million a day
2: budget. And we still don't get anything. What do we get? Get nothing. We get nothing. So, I'm going to
0: leave it there because there's plenty of other branches to dive into here, but perhaps we can quickly reference one small aspect of this because you're very in tune with the public versus private, as, as I already am jumping around here, but let's just kind of get as much as we can before you go. Apollo, Artemis recently, and now Odysseus. Odysseus in the news, they kept saying first time private space company has done it. They're not na- they don't name it. They just say a private company. I'm assuming in that scenario Apollo and Artemis were public versus private this time around. It's supposed to almost give it more of an allure, more of a glamour to it. You know what I mean? Like now with marshmallows for a breakfast cereal. It, it, that's how it feels to me. It seems so silly, you know? So yeah, before we even tie in any mythological ideas, just give me your thoughts on this new, ex- very exciting decades in the making, moon landing that uh, we are supposed to believe just happened from NASA.
1: (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Great call. I'm glad you picked up on that private-public. That is such a pivotal cornerstone of understanding uh, correspondences Mm. in mythology and in law and ritual practice today. The difference between private and public is observed in mythology in profound ways. I think of it as the, the veil in the temple. You know, when the veil was ripped, then there was a violation of what is private and what is public. Uh, and that happens in other stories. It's not just biblical. Other stories, that that unveiling happens. Because once something is revealed, it can never go back in the private. It's like a one-way door. You know, once it's in the public, you can, it its virginity is lost.
0: Great point, man. And there's a Where lot to that. You know, once you close that door behind you, that's it. You're out. And yes, I want to yes. go in that and and I have a double um, reference here for this concept that even in synagogues, I know that there still is a veil. A lot of the times between the men and the woman's side, they're in the the same you know event of the same day. There's a the veil inside of the synagogue. This is an actual veil separating that. And I, what I want to forgot to mention before that they won't say the name. They were say, and, and we don't we know who it is. It doesn't matter. They just kept saying private space company. First time a private space company keeping the information from you as if they can't say the name, as if it's like Yod yes. You're right. And like it's um, Yod Hevav or something. I can't say it. Very
1: strange. That's a great point. That is a great point. Okay. So the fact that Artemis and Apollo were the open facing side is very apropos uh, in speaking uh, in echoes of the epics. Hmm. It is the, uh, let me think, it's the Iliad that is the public facing. It is masculine. It's all battle. It's all bloodshed and war and gruesome details and strategy. It's all out in the public. And the gods are known. And you know the gods by their effect. And uh, so the fact that pestilence is inflicted by Apollo is consistent. It's so consistent. And his sister art, uh, and her his sister Artemis is also correspondent to his number six orientation. Um, and she represents the shadow of the number six personality type. He is an achiever. Oh no, I'm sorry, he's a loyalist, and she is his shadow, she is fear in the um in. So she has much to do with the wilderness and the um, being in the instinct, recoiling, uh, running and scurrying off into the wilderness. Mm. So he's out in the public-facing side, and she's on the private-facing side. So they themselves represent a private and a public uh, in a very well-known dynamic. Uh, They say that over 50% of the world is number sixes. I think over the past decade, we've moved a great amount of the sixes have gone up to nines, but hmm. we'll set that aside. <laughs> so, yes, the the in terms of the epics, it is the Iliad that is pro, uh, public, that is aggressive, that is masculine. And the Odyssey is the feminine counterpart. And that is that it is uh, uh, Odysseus is known as being incredibly cunning, incredibly crafty. And one of his superpowers is putting on a disguise. And right there, we see a master of knowing what is private Mm -hmm. of holding his tongue, keeping things on the down low, knowing what to say and what not to say, such as my name is no one. He says, my name is no one. This is somebody who has mastered privacy and walks the talk, you know, uh, so yeah, uh, that aspect that you picked up on—that this is now on the private—and that corresponds to this master of wisdom, the strategist, uh, known as uh, Odysseus. Yeah, you're spot on, man. You're nailing it. So, cool. so the what I've learned is that the Odyssey is the enneagram, and his adventures are unwinding. What the uh, Iliad had laid out. So I haven't tested the Iliad. Yet. I have to say this: I haven't run the Iliad through the test of enneagram. I'm too excited <laughs> at discovering that the Odyssey is a perfect fit when you run it in reverse. Wow! Um, so I'll just do a quick walk through. Oh sure. On the stations. Uh, to try to convince people so they can syncopate with their mind how the stations right. actually fit the, the nine destinations. Technically there's ten destinations. I mean, you could almost make twelve if you wanted to extract twelve because he makes a stop in Hades, which is a right. neutral spot. Uh, and then he has three adventures uh, in between the three and the four. So you could conflate this into other numbers, but if you know the personality types and the intricacies of um, this imprinting, it's a perfect fit for the nine. So uh, the Lotus Eaters is where the adventure essentially begins uh, in its uh, chronological sequencing. Granted, it is told in broken order in the actual epic itself, but if you follow its chronology, they start out with the lotus eaters, and this has to do with the uh sloth, the uh the deadly sin of sloth is the shadow of a nine personality type who is uh indolent or lazy, and they have but their strength is they're balanced and they're a peacekeeper. Another term for them, they're also called adaptive peacemakers, you know. So they have While we talk about their shadow, just remember that it's only language that limits me from also complimenting them at the same time. (laughs) Mm, So while I'm saying slothful or indolent, there are strengths to that, and you can anticipate and play into those. So the lotus eaters are totally the number nine where they start. Now, something I'm discovering, and I'll share some of these with you, is that there are linguistical puns that are still present in english language huh. that i can't explain how the english language is holding on to artifacts from a story that's in greek but it's, good, it's good there question. it's there a thousand ways yeah yeah it really transcends language and that i think that tells us how this is embedded into uh, everybody's dna if I were speaking, if I were speaking in German, I would also find linguistical puns seeded all throughout. You know, I think any language could accomplish this this penetration that we're in. But it's at the Lotus Eaters where his his uh, his crewmen are so laxadaisical from the drugs, he has to tie them up in the seat. He has to bind them. He has to actually activate his number eight personality type to draw them out of the nine to click them over he has to take control so he plays the number 8 to gain his uh, control of his men and tie them into their seats well the word lotus eater has the word lotu seater yeah that is a struggle to sit he has to fight them he has to literally uh, uh, manhandle them manhandle to them. get them yes, to himself to sit so there's a lotus seat in the Lotus eaters part of the story because he struggles to get them to sit in the ship. And also, uh, there is a ship in the hermit card. Hermit card is number nine. Right so him putting them in the ship in the Lotus eaters position to start the journey to move to progress is so apropos. It's really rewarding. There are yes. many artifacts. So, and-
0: let me add one to that because you strap in when you're a space when you're in a spacesuit, astronaut man. You got to strap in to get in that spaceship. So
2: it's there. It is. Wow, <laughs> no, wow! Get, it there's too many. It's crazy. I'm so excited. If we we to could go
1: this, for. <laughs> it's too many.
0: It's Too
1: many. <laughs> yes, we could go for hours. I mean, we could oh, just yeah. dig in on the lotus eaters and do a whole episode. You know, right. there's right. so much here, but. I just want to, here, I want to substantiate.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, when you said strap in, there's a belt. He does have like a belt, you know? Wow. Going right across the waistline right there. Mm, that, that is, is great. That is really fun. Oof, man. <laughs> oh, baby. So, <laughs> uh, so, once he goes from the lotus eaters, right into uh he moves on to uh polyphemus is the cyclops right. and uh, he they go into the cave which uh is also kind of an aspect of the hermit uh as well um and they start to partake of his supplies and then he comes home um and they have to in they have to trick him into uh drinking himself to sleep and then they poke him in the eye to escape we all know the story, but what's beautiful is this is a quintessential number eight controller domineering with a shadow of lust or uh, control. Uh, challenger is another word here. And uh, even the fact that he's a Cyclops is incredibly apropos because number eight personality types can be very narrow sighted; They can be seen sing- too singular minded about their goals and they don't see the peripheral. So even when he's checking his sheep, he's not checking the underside. And that's an aspect of that narrow sided uh, panopticon uh, right. of the number eights. And right. their remedial virtue is sympathy. Uh, the Catholic church would say chastity, but I think they're, they're playing to the sex too much. I think that sympathy is better advice for the redemption of a number eight who's stuck in their narrow narrow site Interesting. then he goes to the aeolians which is on a floating island some say that's an actual island just north of sicily uh it's possible oh, yeah. it yeah. said i heard the same you heard the same okay the same. and they say that that because it's volcanic it may have shifted its location Mm. which fulfills the myth that it's floating a floating Island. But this is where he gets to the bag of wind. And this is great. I got to say also these little parts of the story, they actually hit on our friends. Like our buddy Dylan, he's a number eight. He's a polyphemus, you know, And, and for him, for him to like really sympathize with the, with the drama of that aspect of the story, it's going to hit him harder than some of us. I see. Now we're in the number seven. We're in our buddy chances territory and chance is going to be like, Oh yeah, those, these are my people. Uh, Cause on that Island, they're partying all the time. Right. They're top hopping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so chances, top hopping uh, uh, genetics are baked into the Aeolian uh, people. And Chance is going to love this because this is where he gets the bag of wind. Chance has been going about the billows lately. Uh-huh. The billows have been like a symbol that's calling him. Right. And sure enough, in the Odyssey, it is the Aeolians who get the bag of wind, the sacred bag of the, the Zephyr, the Western right. wind. Right. Yep. And he uses this to navigate because the winds are beneficial for him so he can get home sooner. And then his crewmen come and they screw, they ruin the party. They open the bag and let it all out.
0: Right. They thought it was gold.
1: (laughs) I think. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I think there's a chance uh, that this is actually encoding. uh, Dirigibles. I think there's a dirigible encode to the Western wind, to the Zephyr wind. And the reason I say this, and I don't not to derail or go too far off, but I am finding that there's actual feasible uh, truisms that fulfill the myths. For example, there is a, a lily, a corn lily flower that if uh, if animals eat the corn lily flower when they're pregnant, If they eat too much of it, the child is born cycloptic. And so the myth of a race of people who are all cyclopses, they might have lived in a place where there was too much corn lily. And what they were eating was affecting their natal uh, process. And so cycloptic, cycloptic race, totally feasible, totally scientifically feasible. And so once you get these little nuggets of like what there's aspects of this that might've been true, uh, Absolutely. then it, yeah, it draws you in. And so the next, the next station is the Aeolians. And my mind is like, what if they had uh helium balloons or hydrogen balloons or something? Right.
0: Right. And of course the other question is, is this story really that old? Because it's, it's hard to imagine that it is, you know, um, but that, that may be, maybe that's a, second part one that that might be interesting to mention later i want to hey i love it i, love I want to you know we'll, we'll get right into the aeolian again because there's one or two things i just want to throw out there that i had in my notes that predate this moment so let's just throw them out and then we'll move on because i want the viewers to get the gist of you know like where this episode came from because you know uh, much like episode 51 it was a first for me because meta soundworks gave me the you know the outline i've never done that yet i always do the outline and this time around, I didn't necessarily give an outline. I just presented myself with what I wanted to say, It wasn't, which is an outline, I guess. But this is a different kind of thing for me, too. So we're, this is fun for me, big time. And I just want the viewers to know that this is a unique experience. This year so far has been very different for the show. Um, they're, they're, he wants to get back to Ithaca, right? And I want to quickly mention that Ithaca is this you know, one of those holy grail colleges that people are just dying to spend their money to get to, right? Almost like a highbrow thing. They're deceived into it. It's another deception to me. College can be a a huge deception. The diploma can be a deception in general. Like, oh, you know all this now. You usually don't know all this, actually. You usually have a lot more to go before you know more than the diploma allows you to say. And, um, you know, look... (laughs) <laughs> people want the deception much like they want to believe we are a pale blue dot in the middle of nothing because then you just work the cubicle life and you go home and you drink and you watch sports and you just fuck everything you don't care you know so people want that actually so i think that's a connection to be made um retrieving helen and the iliad hell helen maybe we could get to that i don't know They're not important to me um the lotus eaters Forgetting the past, if eaten, is the, is the actual, what happens to them, right? They forget about their own, they forget about their themselves, who they are. Fake history, same idea, the idea that this is maybe not as old as they say it is. The idea that we, you know, landed on the moon and all this other stuff. And Veritas and Vino, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But they, like you said, the, they, they hid under the sheep as they went underneath Master of Deception, Right. And this reminds me of the wolf in sheep's clothing, but it's the humans in sheep's clothing that are the people that are trying to deceive us constantly with this moon crap, right? So I think there's a, a lot of things to connect in that, in that moment. And another thing that I thought was really interesting that maybe you have something to mention here, because I don't want to backtrack too much, but I wanted to get these things out there because they were really on my mind, fresh in my mind, is that he uses a wooden stake that he crafts to stab Polyphemus in the eye. Which feels very vampiric you know in, in its nature, so I don't know if there's a if there's a connection to there, but at one point when asked, Polyphema says, "Nobody is killing me, nobody um and this is this is the plight of the modern wage slave, where're like, no, no one's trying to ruin my life, man, everything's great i got a I got a pension you know this is that it, it just relates to so many things that are far more of a modern plight, you would think than from back then. It's incredible. Like just like you were saying, man. It's incredible, right? Um, check this out too. As they escaped from the Cyclops, the other Cyclopses were throwing boulders at them, which makes me think that their ship is passing through an asteroid field or something. You see what I mean with that, with that relationship? There's just constantly going to be space relationship to all this, man. And another quick thing that I, I really did want to mention before we move on is that. Strangely enough, I, I know Beowulf pretty well, and I think it's an interesting story for sure. And um, that comment from Ajax about, you know, you believe everything Odysseus says, you're being deceived. You, nobody saw that. Nobody can prove any of this. Uh, Beowulf had tons of tall tales to tell as well, swimming entire oceans and doing all this other, you know, killing tons of humongous monsters. Odysseus is the same guy. And the other thing that I think is far more of a connection, and maybe this was intentional, is that Odysseus does accidentally reveal his name to Polyphemus after saying he's nobody. And the reason Beowulf gets tagged is because he tells Grendel his name in, like, you know, bullish confidence, like, I'm Beowulf! And, and it's Whoa. the same exact thing. You see what I mean? So I think there's a yes. nice, interesting potential similarities. So last but not least now, and feel free to comment on any of this, you know, Ae- Aeolian. Aeolian and music is the minor scale that we use nowadays. Minor being the opposite shade of major, which is like the scale, major scale, right? When you're in any major scale, there is something called a relative minor. It is the same exact scale starting from a different note in the scale than 1. You start at 6 instead of 1, by the way, in case that interests you. So Aeolian has a humongous musical factor as being the deception. As a matter of fact, if you emphasize it if you emphasize that minor when in major, it's called a deceptive cadence. So Aeolian can be very deceptive. Western winds being that Atlantic, I guess, because we're in the Mediterranean, even though it says ocean. But um, check this out too. The wind, the bag of wind gets canned because everyone thinks it's gold. And they, they you know, behind his back, they, they open the bag, right? Screwed everything up. Now they've got no propulsion, right? And when in space, with, no, with this vacuum of space, there is not supposed to be a functional ability to have any propulsion. So I felt that there was a space relationship with that idea, too, actually. And, um, you know, he he gets sent back to the start as a result of where he left with the bag of wind, which makes me think of the final comment I want to use before you get to keep going, because you're kicking ass, dude. Um he gets sent right back to the place he came just because he loses his propulsion because he never had it, maybe. And that reminds me of how, publicly, we see the liftoff of the rocket ships, always. Privately, we get the deception and you know CGI of the thing returning, but privately, it's just maybe the capsule's just getting dumped. No one's being called to see the landing. No one ever sees that. So I feel like that all made me think of everything together all at once, you know, and there is a challenger space flight too. You mentioned challengers. So I thought that was pretty interesting too, man. Totally. Yes. There's my two cents on the past five minutes of whatever.
1: (laughs) All right. Yes. So the number seven is the Aeolians Mm -hmm. and also Socrates is uh, in the symposium. That's his position as well. He Uh is a quintessential enthusiast with the shadow of glutton. And their remedial virtue is uh, abstinence total, not just take a little bit, take none whatsoever. That is the remedial virtue of the number seven. It's very difficult remedial virtue, I feel, for mm. the sevens. Extreme abstinence,
0: um, actual abstinence.
1: <laughs> yes. So this is related in that aspect of, oh, we thought he got so far. Look how, good. oh, we can almost see home. And then he goes back to where he, none at all. None at all. And he has to go and ask them, hey, can I have another one of those? And they abstain from giving it to him. They say, no, sorry, bro. You're you're shit out of luck. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I'm going to parallel this to chance in my life. Chance has helped me out with technological uh, contraptions and gizmos and trying to problem solve some of my own little uh, advancements in this technological age.
2: Right.
1: So he sent me this uh this little antenna that's helping me communicate right now.
2: Nice.
1: It took me over a week to get that thing to work, and I kept coming back to him. And he's like, "Hey, buddy, I you know here I don't know I I don't know what to." And eventually, I kept thinking he's going to be like the Aeolians, and he's nice. going to say, "Sorry, bro, Neptune You're isn't loving. down with you." <laughs> right. If Neptune can't help you then what can I do so uh, these number sevens they totally have that aspect of like oh you thought you got a lot done well Socrates knows one thing that he knows nothing at all and you're back where you started and that's what that's what Plato's Republic does to you it takes yeah. you on this long adventure and then you come back where you started and you're like what just happened
0: well, yeah uh, where did we go
1: <laughs> that just keeps fun. going
0: this is fun oh, yeah
1: yeah it
2: just keeps going,
1: man. and and then you mentioned uh the 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 uh stick in the eye of polythemus yeah and the, I not identifying who you are. there is a great deal to that. um let's think about the who who has stabbed you in the eye. oh, uh-huh. it was nobody, nobody did it. Oh well, sorry, you must, but we can't help you then uh. The, the wording of Polythemus's uh, cries, his pleas for help, is actually revealing uh, knowledge of the encyclopedists, the inner circle of knowing uh, they are hailing themselves in the story
2: right.
1: because uh, his friends ask, did did you were you violated by cunning and deceit? Or by physical criminal violence. These are the two types of legal battles you can get into in the world. Mm -hmm. There's civil and there's criminal. They actually ask him in in his agony and his pain. They're like, is it a civil crime or is it a criminal crime? Or is it a civil violation or a criminal crime? And he's like, no, I don't. Nobody did anything. They're like, you have no standing in this court. And so the legality of what the who just did and the fact that they don't answer to anybody there is in international waters. It's a Fugazi and they named themselves nobody. Right? right. Very profound, man. I'm glad you picked that up. I'm glad we didn't miss that detail.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, cool. That that stick in the eye is right here. It is, uh, it- It's a division. It's not an actual station. It's the dividing line between the seven and the eight. And it's going to be this adjustment card. And so, this substantiates even more the fact that they're asking him legal questions. Is it a civil or is it criminal? And there's literally a sword getting stuck into the ground right here. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: And this card also, I mean, this is not to derail too much, but I've found like uh, now, nah, I don't want to say it. It's too weird, but this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I. Wow. This is so weird, but like uh, he changed the name of the card to adjust T M E N T. Oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right,
0: because it's supposed to be strength. Uh,
1: uh, no, it would have been justice in the Old original justice. deck. I'm sorry. Right, right. But but you're right, because the numbers were switched with the strength card. So you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you're not wrong. Totally. So, uh, but yeah, the heroes on a half shell in the Ninja Turtles aspect of this, there's a lot more. But I just thought I would mention that. that, um, That's cool, man. That's cool. Because the Ninja Turtles require anonymity. Right. Who are the Ninja Turtles? They're no one. They're nobody. They're the who. In and out.
0: In and out. No one sees them. Batman style, you know.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good call on polyphemus and the who and the anonymity of this. Uh, And one thing about this division line between uh, it's between the thinking groups and the doing groups. Hmm. I call this uh, discernment. This is the line of discerning. And in Greek, they call justice daikiosune. And I find it fascinating how similar discernment, and daikyosune uh, serve right. uh, in our mental capacities. So yeah, that design, discernment line is very uh, pivotal in, right. in mythology and in the human experience. Uh, so the next, after the Aeolians, after the, uh, the ship gets deflated, or the wind, the bag of wind gets deflated, right. I'll mention, there once upon a time was a constellation that is basically the hot air balloon constellation. <laughs> I forget its name. It's like Aristocracy, Aristocracy or something. It's a hot air balloon constellation, and it's only in some old uh, star maps. Not everybody has that right. uh, that constellation, but it's right next to the microscopium. And huh. that constellation is an augury reader, and it has much to do with the military-industrial complex, the MIC. The abbreviation for microscopium is MIC. Hmm. And so I call this the Mickey Mouse Club, the MIC. Right. They they want you to think that they can see you, uh, every little detail of what you're doing. That's right. just seeding the, the mind with wow. shenanigans. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> is it in Urania's mirror by any chance? Is it there?
1: I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think it like might be.
0: something hiding in there. I do, too. What we've got now. You know what I mean?
1: I do, too. I think that's a, that's one I would love to have a physical copy of someday. Oh, yeah.
0: Me, too. Me, too.
1: So, uh, so from there, they move on to the Lestragonians is the number six station. And this station is um it's highly contentious uh it's uh, a loyalist with a shadow of fear with a remedial virtue of courage or bravery or valor
2: Mm.
1: i love the word valor
2: right
1: um so when you hear these words there are a great many other synonyms that should draw your mind psychically to the loyalists and one thing about the odyssey in the Lestragonians, is that, that in that location they could they never get the light of day. They have a false light all the time. And Odysseus gets a little, he gets a hunch that maybe, maybe he should park in the back of all the ships when they come into this harbor. Maybe I should stay a little close to the exit. This is a good Capuarista, never turns their back on the entrance to the bar,
2: uh-huh.
1: right? Never turn your back on the entrance to the bar. And if you have to sit with your back to the bar, then keep on your toes twice as much. Ah. Uh, uh, So what's amazing about the fact that there's no light in that harbor is this is what I call you never see IT. Hmm. University is you never see it. They never see it. Right. And what you never see in universe IT is you never see astronomy. You never learn about the fourth pillar of the quadrivium. And as long as they can keep you detached from astronomy and the fourth pillar of the quadrivium, then you're perfectly qualified to come to university and be a loyalist and come get your degree from Ignatius Laolist. Ignatius Loyola, and the Loyalists are all embedded in the Lystragonian camp. Wow. And the truth of those words is still revealing itself to me in a fascinating way. Um, so yeah, the university of the university in the Loyalist seat uh, has a great deal of fear response because they very simply respond with uh, uh Instant agitation and resistance. Right. Uh, and and that's where they throw the rocks and uh, kill a great deal of his men. I think only his ship escapes. Or maybe, yeah, I think only his ship escapes. And then he goes to, uh, yeah, then he moves on to Cersei in the number five. And uh, on his way to find Cersei, he encounters Hermes. And this is really fun because Hermes is the number five personality type mm-hmm. in the Greek pantheon. Wow. So Hermes was sitting here all along before I even put the Odyssey on the on the map, you know?
2: Right. Wow.
0: And, um, you know, university is universe too. They convince you of the universe. You don't need the fourth pillar. And right. we just had Meta Soundworks on, we were working on how the fourth thing is what's missing and that's where the secret is. You need the first three, you get the fourth. So. Interesting that how these things just keep piling on.
1: <laughs> totally. And, you know, a lot of people will tell you, oh, yes, uh, the word Catholic means universal. Mm. And then they will also say, oh, yeah, university. It's like a city, a universal city. Right. right. But they never put the fact that university basically means Catholic.
2: Mm. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that.
1: And that's pretty profound to me. The university is hiding the word Catholic in it.
0: And then the nickname varsity. Wow. Very interesting.
1: Wow. So what what do you know yes. about the Molly here?
0: The Molly yes. suggestion for Cersei. Yeah, right. What do you know about the Molly suggestion <laughs> for, for Cersei? You know, the MDMA of it all.
1: <laughs> uh well, definitely, the, you know, Hermes is the uh, medicinal, uh, right. uh, of sorts. <laughs> really it is. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I love that he gives him a, an, an antidote that you take in advance. Hmm.
2: It's,
1: it's foresight. It's showing foresight, which is also an aspect of the number five is seeing ahead, uh, uh, What's his name? Prometheus. Prometheus's name means foresight. So he gets that uh, preventative medicine. uh, uh, It's a prophylactic. He gets a prophylactic medicine that he can use in advance from the assailing of the poison that Cersei's going to try to use, her spells on him. Right. And I think that's really uh, just neat that the foresight aspect of the number five is here. And then Cersei's, uh her abode is in the center of the island. So she's self-centered, which is an aspect of the observer with a shadow of a shadow of greed or jealousy, and a remedial virtue of sobriety is what fixes the the self-centeredness, the uh, uh, closed off. Uh, jealousy of I guess you know yeah it's so hard to put the perfect word to it but it's cool because Hermes gives him an herb that will keep him in sobriety right and he takes this herb in and he accomplishes sobriety even when her spells come on to him and so the that fixes the situation of the number five and so um uh the number five, uh uh Cersei, one more thing is this is the origin of the word church. Uh Dylan has brought this forward in a really yeah, kerke, you got it. You got it, the kerke. And she's even playing a mandolin, but it might have been a kathira, the harp that is named the kithira, which is also the bedrock origin word of the word uh. Catholic. The Catholic, Catholic Church also has a relationship to this ethera.
0: That's a better um, guess because there's an Aeolian harp as well than what that one that is played by the wind. If you just leave it out, it's a wind chime with strings, you know. So there's this oh, there's probably oh. a connection there.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, a lot of a lot of wind aspects to the thinking groups here with the five, six and the seven is very wind uh, oriented all around, throughout. So Cersei gives him uh, directions on what he's going to have to go up against, and, and it's only getting worse. He thought it was bad so far. It, it And this, again, Cersei, like, uh, like Hermes, is foresight. He's getting information on the future now, mm. um, which is uh, just all very true to the number five. And so, then he has to go through Hades and give do a ceremony, uh, see all the shadows, uh, talk to the some of the fallen ones from uh, from the Iliad. Uh, he makes a sacred offering, and he meets Tyrasius, who Tyrasius is very much uh, correspondent to Tent uh yes. in the most fascinating ways. Um, but I just wanted to bring this card forward because this is the universe card, right? And so, uh, and this character in this card in the, uh, constellations, this is the Indus constellation, which is generally depicted as a native American with a feathered headdress of various assortments. Right. And he's down there surrounded by birds because he has, uh, animal magnetism. He can read the auguries and tell the future. Uh, so, uh, in the extreme South is where Indus is located. And he's kind of a loner because he's like the only, he's surrounded by animals and, uh, inanimate objects like telescopes and, uh, microscopes and writing crops and fallen feathers and pins and just strange inanimate objects are near him as though he's like, uh, There's an aspect of animation being like uh, embedded into the essence of the southern constellations. And so, yeah, that's the domain of uh, Hades where Ulysses has to go. And that's not actually a station in the Enneagram. That's, uh, again, a dividing line. When he walks into Hades, he's literally going between the four and the five. He's going between the worlds. And I've already corresponded this to the Pythia. Uh, this four to the five gap. This is uh, the word love and the word code both correspond to the five to the four relationship. And once he makes that offering in Hades and kind of has some closure with the past, he then has to go through uh, uh, quite a few trials. Uh, He goes through the sirens and uh, also the I can never say this very well. Gala and Charybdis mm. is the, the six-headed monster and a whirlpool, a maelstrom, and he has okay. to navigate between the two. But I want to really harp on the sirens a little bit. Yeah. Because, sure. Sure. yes, because the sirens can cause people who hear their call, can cause them to want to crash their ship. Right there, we have uh, we have something that we should unpack. I think this is a gift to us in our conversation right now.
2: Sure, sure, absolutely.
1: Because the mission up to the moon is basically them crashing a ship. I think what th- this drama, this cosmo drama that they're playing out on this on this moon stage, is also rolling dice they're rolling dice with these boxes that f- tumble end over end in land which side is going to end up uh, right side up it's as though they're taking bets on how the drama is going to play out right all of this is fascinating because the siren song makes men want to crash their own ship and the rolling of dice is called uh, knuckle bones and the Greek word for knuckle bones sounds just like the English word for astronomy. Uh astronom. Hold on, I'll try to find it.
2: Yeah.
1: The word for knife nu- for rolling dice or throwing knuckle bones
2: right.
1: sounds just like the English word for astronomy. And so when people see astronomy or hear that you're talking about astronomy and they don't know what you're talking about, they're right. they're not fluent. In their mind, they're going to think to themselves, "Oh yeah, sure, sure." They're going to associate it with mental masturbation,
2: uh, right?
0: And it looks like it's astragoloi or something like that.
1: Thank you, thank you, astrologo. Wow, yes,
2: right, setting up it's, the role. Yes, yeah, and so this is
1: So this is the part where he's. Uh, he's tied in knots to the mast of the boat and he's trying to not masturbate (laughs) because the siren call makes you want to throw your semen Mm -hmm. to throw your semen to just waste it, waste it away.
0: Yeah. Lost souls. Yeah.
1: Right. So the metaphor of this number four aspect is so profound because in the in the pantheon this is aphrodite she's the individual with the shadow of envy and when people look upon her when they gaze at aphrodite with her one boob hanging out Mm -hmm. they're like i'm gonna go throw all my ships away (laughs) (laughs) you know it's so funny it's so funny but yeah go ahead no no you finish finish i don't want to i don't want to stop the thought well okay okay uh, the reason why all of this silliness is coming out at the number four is because in Plato's Symposium, mm. the fourth speaker was the comedian Aristophanes, which means that his muse is Thalia. And this is so beautiful because in the fourth station of the Iliad, there's all these funny jokes are coming up, these hilarious jokes and it almost bubbles up a frenzy inside of you to be like, mm. oh my God, how am I getting these jokes? How are these jokes coming through? Right. Well, that's Thalia. She's got me. She, she's got me. <laughs> uh, right, right. <laughs> Chastric,
0: <man. laughs> you know, I, I wanted to relate as I've been. I wanted to keep relating to the space thing because the sirens and the idea that uh, no man has ever heard them and lived, right? This this makes me think back to the original idea that, you know, what are these tall tales? No one's ever going to do this themselves. No one can prove or experience any of this. Um, there's the idea of the the music of the spheres where this, you know, whirling, rotating, orbiting planets are supposed to be making a pitch, some kind of a pitch because of the nature of their speed and their size, you know, their mass. And so that makes me think of space travel again where he's, you know, He's tied up, he's, you know, he's, he's strapped into the spaceship, ready to go, and he's, he's living through, he's surviving this, the music of the spheres, which no one would ever be able to hear because the pitch would probably be so low that no human could even take it in to begin with, and the sirens are supposed to be kind of a high pitch, I assume, so I wonder, I wonder what it's, do you know what it's officially supposed to be? I heard it was supposed to be something pretty, pretty high, like a high pitch. Is there indication well, of what I'm, they're actually doing, what they're actually making, the, how their noise is?
1: I'm not sure uh, the nature of the noise, but I do know that they're, they're whispering two promises. There's mm-hmm. two things that they're uh, seducing man with. The first thing is, I understand your pain. Mm-hmm. I can be the only one who understands your pain. And the other thing that they sing is, I can tell you whether you should have hope or not. I can validate your hope. And it those two like a, aspects. Like a business tactic <laughs> sounds very very strategic, doesn't it? Uh, can you by chance can you pull up that most recent graphic that I sent to you today? Yeah. The one that has um with the, the yeah. picture of the guy, with he's playing with a model of the lander. Uh, I found that the fact that he has a toy on the desk doing like a demonstration for everybody, okay. I found it so magical, so ceremonial, that uh, that they're using models of the things of children as though they are talking to us and condescending to explain how these situations, uh, how these how we should visualize and understand where the Brazilians of dollars are being thrown away. Um, Yeah, that graphic it uh, it, it's very fun because Japan just threw some random cube shaped object on a, a moon stage and told this close enough is perfect because their lander was upside down on its head. And now here we have another lander that's laying sideways on its side. Well, that's a pair of dice. That's a pair of dice. And so yeah. in a broken fashion, they are telling us that, oh, just keep giving us this money and you'll have paradise. paradise. We'll build a paradise up here the on paradise. the moon.
0: This actually comes right back to that episode I just had with Metisaur. A paradise was the if you get the fourth pillar, you get paradise. You actually learn the secrets.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I'm going to pull it up right now so they can get the the feel now. Right on. Yes.
1: So one of the aspects of, okay. The throwing of knuckle bones Mm -hmm. is really, uh, wild. To me, because for one, his knuckle bones are actually hiding out behind the ship down there. Uh, uh, And it's probably incidental. I don't know if that was intentional, but there are a great amount of knuckle bones encapsulated in his little scale model that he's trying to convey into our mind. Right. Knuckle bones is both uh, throwing dice and gambling. But it's also on a deeper, esot- uh, more esoteric level; it encodes necromancy uh, because there were old necromantic rites where you actually sniff some sort of concoction to commune with the dead, and so it's actually a cocaine—it's a cocaine joke too. Right, snuff. So the adult level of. Um, Talking over our heads and treating us, uh, condescending to treating us like children and making jokes that so many people don't have the context for its very frustrating. But when you boil it all down, you know, uh, it actually does make a great amount of sense in kind of a twisted humor kind of way. So, yeah, I put the harpies floating around him yeah. while he's tied to knot, mast a boat right in front of everybody in public. Uh, yeah, pretty just interesting toys, to me.
0: Like they always do. Just they're holding, you know, just dinosaur toys. books, toys, little stuffed, um, you know, germs. they always just flashing the nonsense, but it's 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 out of control,
2: you know. And I also want to see maybe if I get you know, it out of here. Hold on, let me show everyone the uh. Oh, I forgot. I lose my audio when I do that. But I wanted to show everyone the image for a second. <laughs> You know the background. Okay. All right. Good. Back in. Yeah, we're back. We're back. <laughs> Beautiful man, really. Um. Uh. The ship, broke in half.
0: Maybe we can save that. That might find more there might be more for us to find there is the term do you recall because i haven't i haven't genuinely looked at this deeply in a long time i mean i read the iliad odyssey a very 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 long time ago so i'm resetting my information to get ready for this and um is the term vast ocean used because i mean this is all the mediterranean it's supposed to be the
2: mediterranean theoretically do you recall if that term is actually used vast ocean
1: I don't remember that. Hmm. I feel like it does sound familiar. I feel like it is in there. But the the one term that is an immortal phrase is the wine dark sea. Hmm. The wine dark sea is a phrase that people have, uh, it's an artifact of the story that people have pondered. And it's led a great amount of people to believe that once upon a time, in the time of the telling of this story, mm-hmm. the story, the that there was no color blue in the uh, acknowledged by our anatomy, and that something right. has happened to initiate us into perceiving blue, uh, because there is no mention of that color through the Odyssey, and that is that's a rabbit trail that's well worth considering. I think, oh, oh
2: baby, <laughs> yeah, I would think
0: so, man. I would think so. Um, all right, let me. Let me say this now, because we hit, we hit an hour, and I actually was planning on maybe cutting off a little earlier for the first part here.
2: Do you think we should just get right into, just kind of cut it off for 10 minutes and go to part two? What do you think? Where are you at information-wise? You got a, you got a bunch left, or what? Let's
1: do this. I- well, uh, just to bring everybody to con- a quick brief conclusion, I'll just right. list off the last couple stations of the Enneagram and then we'll call it and we'll pick back up in hour two with, uh, we'll come back to the number three, to the Charybdis, right, uh, in hour two talk about, and go with more be, detail.
0: Good, good. Yeah, no, that sounds great, dude. And I want to, maybe we can talk about Ulysses S. Grant for a moment. Cause that name always sounded so strange to me. And then I had forgotten that oh, he was yeah. Odysseus, the same name as Odysseus. We got stuff. What number is Odysseus in the... What number is he? Is he a number?
1: That's a good question. I think he's got to be a nine because okay, well, uh, because no he more. has...
0: Save that for part two. Okay. That's, it okay. totally checks out, man. For everyone <laughs> to wait nice. and see if they want to watch part two or not, that checks out. Okay, good. Okay, so yeah, do get, nice. spit it out and we'll we'll kind of wrap that up and give people a chance to really be hungry for part two. All right. All right.
1: So, uh, yeah. So after he survives the siren song, he has to go through uh, Scylla and Charybdis, uh, which is a maelstrom and a six headed Hydra. And um, he's, uh, he's compelled to sacrifice six of his men. Inevitably, there's nothing he can do about it. So he has to go through a necessary evil here. Um, And he's actually told by Athena. No, 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 by uh, Circe. Circe tells him, get over yourself. Get over yourself. If you want to get home, you got to get over yourself. And that actually comes up between the three and the four in other stories. There's this weird hiccup right here. Uh, That comes up in the symposium, it comes up in the tarot, it comes up in the zodiac, there's this weird uh, flim-flam with the three to the four. But him getting over himself and sacrificing some of his men uh, is part of the dynamic of the shift into the number three. Now, the number three deity in the Greek pantheon is Neptune, but it's also got Dionysus in here. There's some getting drunk and forgetting yourself, right? Uh, not having your feet under you necessarily. This self-deceit. But, uh, but Dionysus aside, he is in the domain of Neptune. This number three Neptune, and Neptune has beef with uh, with Odysseus uh, because Polyphemus is the child of Neptune. Right. And put a Same curse on him in the eye. Yeah. So and he told Poly- them his name.
0: That's just so people get the clear image. That like he told he told them his name was nobody. Fooled them. Then he told them his name at the end, and that's why the the curse was. a Yes,
1: yes. And now this is important. Oh, this is so important. This mm-hmm. is so important. I'm glad we're giving this to the first to the first uh, first hour. Yeah, because if you guys can watch, I'm going to stand up so you can see. This is anatomically impeccable. That Polyphemus's curse is directly in line with Neptune, the number three station, because here is where the curse happens, where Polyphemus says, if you can't destroy him, at least make him miserable on the way home. He actually asks for a two-part curse. If you can't kill him, then at least make it hard for him to get home. And so that is actually targeting, it's aiming the seven-eight-three grouping. It's literally targeting this part of his journey. Oh, yeah. And so the anatomical map of the Enneagram is substantiated profoundly by Polyphemus's curse being the 7-8 to the 3 grouping tri. Wow. And so him directing malintention over here in this part of the adventure, it's all coming true. It's totally coming true. Wow. And so it really excites me to know that the monomyth, is right here in on my dry erase board, and more I test it out, the more I get positive results. Like I should be, yeah, it just keeps happening. I shouldn't have any eyebrows or facial hair. I should just oh, be blown no. away all the time. Dang. Yeah. My beard should look like this <laughs> and all day. Speaking
0: <laughs> of explosions and sacrificing a certain amount of people, we had mentioned the Challenger space flight from nineteen eighty-six, which sacrificed a certain number of people as a final way of like, hey, we're not going to be doing spaceflight for a while now. Let's just make sure you're all afraid for us to do it anymore. It, there were seven people that died on board. It wasn't six. I was hoping for six. Not, not hoping, but I thought it might be six because Dude. of the, you know, the Hydra. But it was seven crew members. Similar sacrifice, though.
1: And, well, hold on. Mm. They escaped. They escaped under the belly of the white cloud Mm, The white cloud of the hang time of the Challenger mission was floating up there forever and ever. And we didn't check under the belly of these sheep as the sheep were escaping from the cave of your mind. And years later, we find out that those seven people escaped. They were hanging out in the underbelly.
0: Oh, okay. So let's, let's flash this picture now real quick. Because this looks like sheep's wool to me. Hold on now. <laughs> Could it be? No. Isn't it's not possible. No. No, there's no way there's even similarities, right? Look at this. This looks like sheep. Isn't that something?
1: Me. This is the challenger. This the is religion. the sheep of the challenger, the number eight polyphemus. It comes back up later when they do uh when they hit us with uh paddock. Uh what's his name? Stephen Paddock. Mm. This is Stephen Hawking is the number seven. Stephen Paddock was totally hitting us up again with more of the Challenger uh, ritual, ritualizing the Challenger thing, and all those people running away from Stephen Paddock were like sheep, being ushered out of the cave. That is so profound. Significance of the symbolic correspondences over time.
0: No, it's a lot, and you know what's funny? That I'm just looking at it for kicks, but I remembered a few things about it. But the O-ring is what failed. Meanwhile, you know, having, you know, tight pressure, it seems impossible to begin with. And, you know, Kierke, Cersei, oh. Yeah, I can see it all right
1: oh. there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, well,
0: all right. Nice. So before we get nuts now, do you have anything else you want to add to the, the first one here, the first hour?
1: Well, I would put this in the challenger. Their shadow is lust. Uh, and right. so that rings with oh, if you ask me. Oh, my God. Oh. Challenger Shadow is lust, so that rings with O for sure. Uh, yeah. And then I'll just close off real quick. So, oh yeah, uh, no, no, it's anything is fine. Really. So, yeah. So the next place that they end up going is Apollo's Island with the sacred cows, called uh, Thrin- Thrinacea, Thrinacia, T H R I N A C I A, A C I A. Right. At the end of there. But it's C-I-A, got the right, Thry. Right. It, yeah, right. But it has the Thry for the number three. This has the Trident of Neptune. And it is in the dominion of Apollo. Because Apollo, the six to the three, are like masculine uh, feminine. Mm-hmm. There's a spark gap between the six and the three. So the Apollo aspect is still here uh, when they're on the island of uh, Thrysenea And they steal the cows. And then uh, from there, uh, they then uh, escape. They have to pay a heavy toll, and he ends up on the island of Calypso where he is uh, uh, given remedy. He's brought, he's made whole again, and she lathers him with two, so many gifts, it's hard to leave. Mm-hmm. That is a number two, is a giver with a shadow of pride Wow! Uh, and a remedial virtue of magnanimity. That is Calypso all the way. That's, and then. And she gives too much and Mercury has to come and be like, yo, Calypso, <laughs> chill out. You got to let this guy go. <laughs> right. And so she lets him go. And then from there, he moves on to Phacia, uh, which is really hard to say. Phasia has the word Asia. P-H-A-E-A-C-I-A. Phacia is this island with high prop, uh, propriety. And everybody acts very prim and proper and they have a lot of like um uh acting exactly to code and standard and if you fuck up just a little bit the punishment is extreme mm-hmm. and that is so true to a number one personality type they oh, hold on to resentment they, too. yes yes that's so true Yep, a high cost so yeah uh this uh number one is a perfectionist reformer with a shadow of wrathfulness and so all of those things come up in his adventure in this number one. And then I just wanted to relay that Ithaca, his final destination, is actually not on the map. Mm. His final destination is the center, oh. is the is becoming whole again. He's coming back to the middle. Oh. And so that's what I wanted to convey to everybody in the first hour is that Ithaca isn't actually on any of the numbers. Ithaca is knowing the whole story when it comes to completion, And his son's name is Telemachus. Right. And this is telling us that Telemachus is going to tell the story of the telemetry data Uh, of the adventure forever and ever until it is baked into our DNA. Right. This story, this myth, these patterns become something of a father in and of their own right. Something of a a safe haven, a protector, uh, a resonance of truth that... Uh, I enjoy greatly. I enjoy very much. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, the Ithaca is dead center of the Enneagram. And uh, finding all of this out, uh, I want oh, I want to give thanks to that guy, Michael Goldberg, who corresponded the Enneagram to the Odyssey. Right. And uh, because of his work, I can further substantiate my outlandish claims. <laughs> that the Enneagram is the Millenniagram Thylgia. Oh, my. This is the Millenniagram Falcon uh, in my read, because the uh, Millennium Falcon also had sacred telemetry right. data. That right. Only with this telemetry data can you get to the deepest mysteries to find the Dagobah system and where Luke Skywalker was hiding. Right.
2: right.
1: So the, the telemetry data of Telemachus is all right here on my dry erase board.
0: So they didn't destroy the data and they do have the tapes that the machines, they can play the tapes back again. <laughs> they did not destroy the <laughs> telemetry data. And, um, and Asia minor factors into the region essentially of the story too. So you mentioned Asia, maybe Asia minor could be uh, just trying to connect as much as possible.
1: Yes, totally. Even, uh, you know, Dylan is uh, made this connection that the word, uh, ocean, Mm -hmm. And the word Asia are related as though to say, if you want to get to Asia, you better know how to navigate the ocean completely. You better have full command over the, over the ebbs and the flows. Right. Yeah. It's even in the word Phoenician, right? It's like phone Asian. It sounds kind of (laughs) Asian.
2: Yeah, yeah, it
0: really does. Wow. Incredible. And i and we're, we're skimping over some stuff too. And on purpose, you know, just to not, not to save it for hour two, but just because this would be much like the Panama canal, this could easily be six, seven, eight hours without really trying. And, um, and, and knowing what, you know, man, it could be, it could be longer than that <laughs> easily. But this is, what do you think? You, you, you think you got your completion of the, of the moment? I think that, um, feel very
1: good We <laughs> <this, yeah. laughs> should. <So it's,
0: laughs> This is incredible so far. And we're just going out on a whim. You know, I didn't like sit around mulling this over for a while. I'm just like, we got to talk about Odysseus now that that Odysseus landing just happened. And um, thank you. Amazing, really. I mean, I can't wait to talk more in a few minutes. Let's just take a quick, you know, 10 minute and tell everyone how they can benefit your cause and where they can find you and all that good stuff.
1: Thank you, buddy. Yes. Uh, Slick Dissident on YouTube is my channel name. Uh, I'm now uh, open for donations. I uh, generally have a, the Cash App and the links of my, of my works. I'm also uh, in with Chance Garten over on the universe. You can catch us on Rockfin and on YouTube. And uh, as well, I've been really pushing the Occultus Mundi lately because I want Juan to publish more of this. Uh, but yeah, uh, over on the one on Juan show, I've done quite a bit of work with Juan. Uh, so I've been pushing the Uh uh There's great treasures in here. Great, great treasures. And someday I think some of these might become collector's items, you know. Wow. Uh, I learned about scapulomancy. Mm. Uh, you know, reading auguries with the scapula is one of the things that Mark Steves is in here with uh, some of the other, the other heads. And he wrote about, yeah, scapulomancy. Uh, also, I'm on the Bush Whisperer uh, his show called the round table on Saturdays and get down with him a lot. And, uh, let's see. I always forget people. Cause I'm all over the place. You are. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I probably forgot about three or four other people, but yeah, you guys can come and find me. I'm, all, I'm kind of everywhere.
0: Well, there will be links in the show notes, of course, just like the last time you were on this show. Um, everyone don't miss that either. And You guys know where to find me, thirdeyeedify.com. I also have happened to have a book as well, World War U. I think that almost anyone, even someone who has no idea that shows like this exist, would get a lot out of it. And uh, join my mailing list. You find me on, for part two, you'll find me on Rockfin, find me on Patreon. That's where all the little hidden goodies are. There's plenty of perks on Patreon, but you know what? Rockfin's a great choice too. You get the whole damn channel for one fee. And, um, Either one is a good way to support my show and many others like Chance's Interverse, for example. So thank you. I hope that you guys are really looking forward to part two because I certainly
2: am. And we'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much. I love you all.